This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, January 13th. I'm Matt Hoish. In today's headlines, Michael Martelon steps down as CEO of Telluride Tourism Board, navigating Omicron with kids who can't get vaccinated, Telluride Ecology Commission gets green light for 2022 plans, and a mountain weather forecast. Michael Martelon is stepping down as the CEO of the Telluride Tourism Board. The board made the announcement on Thursday, noting it was a joint decision. Here's Tourism Board Chair Dan Jansen. By mutual agreement, maybe now is a good time for him to go chase that next dream uh, and for us to take a step back, work with the government, work with the local business stakeholders and, um, you know, and our great team that, that Michael helped to build and reflect on what how should we be contributing specifically to the community? Martelon has been head of the tourism board for over a decade. I just want to take this opportunity to thank Michael and the team that he's created. Uh, before he showed up, we were a very different place, and he's brought data, analytics, insight, and rigor, uh, and has really taken the marketing of our destination to a whole new level. Some would argue maybe a little too successful. Jansen says the change comes as the Telluride region sees a shift in tourism. We've seen you know, growth in visitation. We've seen growth in part-time locals spending a lot more time here than they used to. We've seen changes to our visitor base. You know, last summer, something like 30% of the visitors were day trippers. And they're cool, but that, that's different. We've seen a need to kind of disperse people off of Main Street, you know, with some COVID rules. We've seen occupancy down, but the rate people pay for a room go up significantly. He adds the pivot will ideally help better address needs across the area. One of the challenges we faced last summer, or for many summers, is the amount of people uh, walk around on Main Street in town, and we want to disperse those people. Well, guess what? Mountain Village, at the other end of that tree gondola, uh, is interested in more people coming up to the canopy tour and the biking trails and the restaurants. The West End would love to have some folks going out and doing the glamping at that cool new place that's been built out there. So those are three different goals, but they can kind of work together if we coordinate and collaborate. Jansen says the Tourism Board wants to help manage and educate the visitors who are already coming to the region rather than attracting visitors themselves. But he acknowledges a piece of the decision to see changes at the Tourism Board comes from uncertain funding in the coming years. Mountain Village recently selected the Tourism Board as its primary marketing firm, with assistance from a Denver-based company. In November, the town of Telluride passed a ballot measure changing the way tourism funding will be allocated, which could lead to less funding for the Tourism Board. We're optimistic that we're going to maintain most of our funding. You know, if if we get cut in half, uh, we have to close the doors, because we mostly employ people and we pay an expensive lease on Main Street for the visitor center. But if we have a more modest reduction in funding because they want to bring in other creative voices, then we'll work with them. But there's less money we'll have available to kind of cover our all of our fixed costs. So it's it's a piece of the context, but I think it's a little bit more, you know, the world's kind of changed, our mission has kind of changed, and so let's figure out what we can do with the funding we will have available to us. And I don't know what that will be at this point. And so we're being a little conservative, and we're going to watch our costs, and we're going to figure that out this next year. For the time being, Jansen says, the tourism board itself will look similar to now. The first thing you're going to see is not a lot's going to change, right? Um, Holly and Tira and Tommy are the three directors. 
who reported to Michael and did, with all due respect, did a lot of the work. They're going to keep doing it. We're going to think through as a board, and we're going to engage a lot within the community of do we replace uh, Michael? And do, if so, do we find someone with a different skill set? It's a little more about managing a sustainable tourism economy, not necessarily growing one. What we need to work on, our metrics, are probably a little different. And so maybe it's time for a person who, um, who can kind of help us focus in those areas. Michael Martelon's final day at the Telluride Tourism Board will be January 28th. He will continue to work with the board as a consultant on a temporary basis. San Miguel County continues to see a surge in cases from the Omicron variant of COVID-19. As of Thursday, there are officially 312 active local cases, but... According to Dr. Deanna Colliker, Director of Emergency and Trauma Services at the Telluride Regional Medical Center and Telluride EMS Director, it seems like that increase is plateauing. It's not all roses and sunshine. Like We are still at a very high, uh, exceedingly high incidence rate and positivity rate, um, but it over the past several weeks where it seemed like we were on a steep, steep incline it does seem like it has leveled off still at a very high point, but perhaps not still rising at that same rate. Colliker spoke on KOTO on Thursday. That trend, she says, matches up with other resort communities across the state. So Telluride and Vail and Summit County and Steamboat, they all had these super early surges of Omicron likely related to travel over the holidays. And then now the rest of the state is starting to experience the same thing. So we were just a little ahead of the curve. Omicron, Colliker notes, is the dominant strain in the county. The variant, she says, seems to be milder than previous iterations of the virus. Albeit, it's not a no hospitalization rate. It, it still can make people pretty sick, particularly if you are unvaccinated. But while there are those who choose not to get the vaccine, there are some who can't get it even if they want to, including children under five. Colliker acknowledges that can make life challenging for parents of those kids. It is a really hard balance to walk. Unvaccinated people, regardless of age, have a higher risk, Colliker notes, particularly if they have underlying conditions like asthma or diabetes. And Omicron, she adds, has hit children harder than earlier variants and led to more hospitalizations. So like two times more children are hospitalized right now with COVID than say three weeks ago, and three to four times as many are hospitalized compared to last year. And, and we're seeing that across the country and in our state. It's a particular concern, she notes, for parents of kids less than six months old. So I remember when my son was an infant and I looked at periods of time based on risk. And so when he was less than two months old, I allowed no one to, to come in contact with him because I knew that was his greatest time period of risk of infection from any type of respiratory virus. And then when he got to six months old, I felt a little better because then he had started getting immunizations. He could get a flu shot. 
Um, and I was still breastfeeding, and so he was also getting that immunity from me. And then after six months, you know, when they're nine months or a year, they're kind of bomber. I mean, they they are rough and tumble, and they they tolerate, you know, little illnesses. And so, and I was lucky that my son had no underlying, you know, health problems. So I certainly, I opened up his exposure as he got a little older, and I think I would approach this day that we live in the same way. Colliker anticipates there will be a COVID vaccine for kids under five in the next six to 12 months. In the meantime, one way to protect those who can't get vaccinated, she explains, is to surround them with people who are vaccinated. If everybody in their life is vaccinated, which reduces their chance of getting it or of having severe illness and having, um, you know, lots of viral shedding or passing it on to somebody else, that helps. If you are in a, a daycare situation, it most certainly helps if the people who are taking care of your children are vaccinated and are wearing masks. Looking ahead, Colliker notes there are some who think the Omicron surge could transition COVID-19 from pandemic to endemic and just a part of life that doesn't require so many precautions. Until we get to that point, we still have to, you know, use all these tools. But I do see that this will, you know, become more controllable. I really do think that. For the latest information on local testing and vaccination opportunities, head to sanmiguelcountyco.gov and click on the COVID tab. The Town of Telluride's Ecology Commission has the go-ahead for its 2022 plans. Earlier this week, Telluride Town Council unanimously approved the commission's work plan for the upcoming year. Karen Guglielmone is the town's environmental and engineering division manager and the staff liaison to the commission. She presented the work plan to council at their meeting this week and began with an overview of the commission's work over the last year. One project has been to update the town's landscaping guidelines. And that was driven largely for water conservation reasons. And hopefully within the next few months, uh, those guidelines as a draft will be presented to you for consideration of adoption as guidelines. And along, the, along with those will be probably some updates to the water conservation code that are recommended. Another has been an update to the town's climate action plan. You'll learn more about that in the coming months. Uh, and hopefully we'll be able to adopt a final plan in April. Black Bear Awareness also falls under the commission's purview. We're almost 20 years into Black Bear Awareness and um, we are held out throughout the state we are held up as a community that um, has been successful in its bear awareness outreach and its bear mitigation with its trash. And last year, Guglielmone adds, the commission also worked to educate the public on de-icers. De-icers that are less impactful to the environment and better for pet paws, etc. For 2022, many items on the work plan are a continuation of efforts from 2021. Certainly the work plan focus that the group wants to continue with is working on climate change mitigation, implementing the climate action plan, essentially what gets approved through there. There's also a continued focus on the updated landscaping guidelines to help with water conservation. You know, hopefully adapting our climate 
our, our landscaping to a hotter and drier Telluride is one of the goals. There's also an aim to spearhead talks with town to create an environmental conservation code enforcement officer and to advocate for the elimination of environmentally unfriendly de-icers and a single-use plastic ban ordinance. The commission, Guglielmone adds, also wants to review their founding regulation to see if their mission and code needs to evolve. Similar to after 10 years, nearly 10 years of being in place in 2020, in 2012, the commission was like, uh, does this all still make sense? Commission member Jonathan Greenspan adds the commission is anxious to push local environmental efforts forward. Words like uh, educate or inform or suggest or things like that really are just, they're nice words. They're nice words, but they're not actually accomplishing things like a lot of us would like to see happen. Greenspan wants more legislative action to back ecological goals. Council supports the Ecology Commission bringing such ideas forward and unanimously approved the commission's 2022 work plan. Music is in no short supply this weekend in and around Telluride. On Friday, January 14th, Kenny Goldman is playing from 12 to 4 p.m. in Heritage Plaza. Ethan Hales at the Transfer Warehouse from 3 to 5. Andy Jones is playing the Peaks from 3 to 6. And the Gold Kings are at the Phoenix Bean from 6.30 to 8.30. Saturday the 15th has Sean Deland at Heritage Plaza from 12 to 4. Fuego Lux at the Transfer Warehouse from 3 to 5. And the Little Smokies at the Sheridan Opera House from 9 to 11.30. Sunday the 16th, Clay Hall is in Heritage Plaza from 12 to 4 p.m., and Lavalanche is at the Transfer Warehouse from 3 to 5 p.m. If you missed any of that or want to know about other upcoming local live music, check out Kodo's new live music calendar at koto.org. The January full moon means one thing, the annual Valley Floor Progressive Dinner. Sheep Mountain Alliance is putting on the 2022 nighttime event this Sunday. Nocturnal revelers are invited to walk to the trails on the Telluride Valley floor, then snow bike, ski, snowshoe, or walk to three food and drink stations spread out across the Groom Trail Loop by the Shell Station for cider, soup, and cookies. Then, enjoy a night on the Valley Floor trails. Sheep Mountain asks everyone to bring their own bowls and cups to the celebration of the Wolf Moon. The 2022 Valley Floor Progressive Dinner is Sunday, January 16th from 5.30 to 8 p.m. Generous snowfall last month pushed precipitation and snowpack above median levels across Colorado. That's according to a recent report from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Many snowtel sites across the San Juan and Elk Mountains saw record December snowpack, and statewide snowpack is about 125% of the median. The combined San Miguel, Dolores, Animas, San Juan, and Gunnison River basins are leading the way in snow water equivalent, with roughly 145% and 150% respectively. But reservoir levels across the state remain largely below the median, thanks to widespread drought conditions since last summer. Current statewide reservoir storage is about 80% of normal. 
Those numbers come on the tail of the hottest six months recorded in Colorado and the United States as a whole. That's according to new data from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Governor Jared Polis delivered his fourth State of the State address to lawmakers on Thursday at the state capitol. As KOTO's Scott Franz reports, he vowed to help Coloradans recover and rebuild after a steady stream of tragedies. The governor's address was more subdued and somber than his previous remarks at the Capitol. It started with a moment of silence for the many Coloradans who have lost their lives to COVID, wildfires, and mass shootings last year. He said the state should be more optimistic about the coming year. No matter how tough last year was, I know for a fact that Coloradans are fundamentally good and tougher. We care for one another. We're tougher than anything thrown our way. Polis outlined an ambitious agenda for the year and beyond. He says he wants Colorado to be one of the top 10 safest states. He also says his top priority this year is to save Coloradans money and lower the cost of living. I'm Scott Franz at the state capitol. As climate change becomes more front and center across the world, communities are looking to transition away from fossil fuels. This winter, KOTO is partnering with stations in the Rocky Mountain Community Radio Coalition to report a series of stories looking at that shift. Today, we're heading south. As the climate continues to dry and warm across Colorado, fire mitigation efforts, such as forest thinning, are becoming more important. But the wood often ends up in a landfill or otherwise wasted. One company in Durango is working to change that. KSUT's Sarah Flower visited their facility to learn more. Timber Age Systems Incorporated is the first producer of cross-laminated timber, or CLT, in the Southwest. CLT was developed in Europe over 20 years ago as a replacement for steel and concrete walls, floors, and ceilings in large-scale buildings. It's made by gluing boards together in alternating layers at right angles to one another. And what makes TimberAge unique in their CLT process is that they use 3-inch ponderosa pine that's been sourced from fire mitigation on both public and private lands. This technique is more often used in urban settings. Andy Hawk, one of the co-founders of TimberAge and his team, work diligently in a small facility located in a remote area of Durango while they develop a system of how to create more CLT buildings in rural settings. What we've been working on is how do you shrink the whole process to be able to use smaller trees from fire mitigation, beetle-killed material, um, substandard saw logs, things that don't sort of meet the commercial needs for dimensional lumber for 2x4s and 2x6s and 2x8s. We're trying to use that material that isn't used in those processes. And so we've had to sort of shrink the traditional form factor for cross-laminated timber. But what it opens up is the ability to use this material in smaller buildings that are more common in rural communities. The evidence of the efficiency for CLT is mounting in some of the bigger settings, but Hawk says that information is still needed for these small-scale projects. It's been proven dramatically that 
CLT based buildings can have environmental performance that are 70 to 80% more efficient. So it requires far less energy to heat and cool and maintain an environment within the structure. It's also been demonstrated that solid wood mass timber buildings have higher air quality within the building themselves. But that's been at a very urban scale. And there are no data to demonstrate how that looks at the rural scale. And so we're climbing that hill right now. Part of that uphill battle is the need to build more. TimberAge has received an over $400,000 grant from the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment Recycling Resources Economic Opportunity Program to build a nearly 3,000-square-foot facility in La Plata County that Hawk says could expand the company's capacity nearly four times what it is now and help increase their use of locally harvested ponderosa pine. The vision for growth behind Timber Age is to find communities and partners that are interested in having sort of a micro-manufacturing facility that works directly with them in their community and with their forest. So yes, we believe we're ready to grow. The grant that we just received from CDPHE is going to allow us to build our own CLT-based factory and quadruple our current production. But that's about as big as we see ourselves getting right here in Durango. And so then is it a facility in Montezuma County or is it a facility in the San Luis Valley or somewhere further up the western slope? Um, And we're talking with an organization in California that from an environmental, like an actual ecosystem standpoint and a forest standpoint is not all that different than Southwest Colorado about the potential to build a plant in the Northern Sierra. Hawk says that designing in building with integrative CLT system can offer 40% faster assembly with 25 less percent expenses and is net zero ready. Part of the success of Timber Age for Hawk in adopting these new systems is not only a learning curve, but also partnering with innovative professionals, local builders, architects, all while working closely with the U.S. and Colorado Forest Service. Reporting for KSUT News, I'm Sarah Flower. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly cloudy skies tonight with a low in the mid-20s. Friday, expect partly sunny skies with a high around freezing and a 40% chance of snow showers in the afternoon. Friday night should be partly cloudy and blustery with a low around 10 degrees. Saturday calls for sunny skies with a high near freezing. Saturday night, expect mostly clear skies with a low around 20 degrees. This has been the news for Thursday, January 13th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.